and we plow through and we seek you for wisdom, we know that you will bless us with your word of instruction and warning, but also of peace and comfort. And I pray, Lord, your anointing upon Edwin, Elder Edwin, as he preaches your word today, Lord. Just strengthen him for the task before, before us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. so that you can see the slide. Well, it is true that the last three... Even my brother agrees that it is the toughest. Uh, I just want to tell you that this is the last sermon in the series in uh, the book of Daniel. And uh, in the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, are really the difficult parts because it's all prophecies and there's so much to digest and I'm given three of those uh, chapters. Uh, you know, uh, it is not possible to preach all three chapters. You will, uh, you read it for yourself, you know, it's a lot, it's a massive material. And so I have to uh, really sit and wait on God for a, for a message, right? Uh, it, this is his pulpit there must be a message from the Holy Spirit to the church. And I sense today that I should be concentrating on chapter 10. It's not that I will skip 11 and 12. I will speak less on 11 and 12. But I just sense that the message today for the church will come from chapter 10. Uh, thank you for uh, praying for me. I have a group of prayer warriors who pray for me uh, earnestly. It's quite a big group, and I'm very grateful. I know it makes a difference. Pastor Kevin uh, spoke about this. Uh, Pastor Kevin's message last week was on the 70 weeks of Daniel, and he, uh, we have decided that he will preach on the fulfilled part of the sermon, of the prophecies, and I will uh, deal with the unfulfilled portion uh, I want you to know that the central truth that dominates the last day, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, the central truth is conflict. In other words, war. And I'm going to bring this out, I hope, clearly. Look at this assembling of the verses, right? Uh, help me, please. The next slide. Uh, the central truth, right? Daniel 7.21, this horn was waging war against the holy people. Daniel 9.26, war will continue until the end and desolations, uh, desolations have been decreed. War broke out in the heavenly and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. Revelation 12.7. Next slide. Revelations 12, 17, the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offsprings. Revelation 13, 7, and he was given power to wage war against God's holy people. Revelation 19, 19, and the kings of the earth and their armies will get, be gathered together to wage war against the rider. And this is a sampling of how many times uh, this theme of conflict, war, fighting, opposition, it just come up again and again, and therefore I believe that the central truth that dominates the last day is conflict. Now let's turn to Daniel 10. Daniel 10 says, uh, has this verse, uh, read for you from the uh, New Living Translation. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belshazzar. And the message was true. And one of great conflict. He understood the message. He had understanding of the vision. The message was one of great conflict and he understood the message and because he understood the message, he immediately went into intercession and prayer and that lasted for three weeks. So three weeks, nothing happened. So he just went on and on and on until the three weeks was over and then something happened. Uh, the next slide, yeah. Then the angel was dispatched to him. And this is uh, very significant because 
uh, Daniel understood from the message of conflict that dark clouds were descending on the people of Israel. And uh, this was about the third year of King Cyrus. So let's read this verse. The angels came and said to him, Your words are heard, and I've come in response to your word. But the prince of the king of Persia was withstanding me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of your chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the king of Persia. Now I shall return to fight the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Now, what happened in the third year of King Cyrus? Why in the third year of, of this king, a message came to him, the message that there will be conflict? What happened in the third year? The, what happened in the third year is in this chart. Right, uh, Cyrus, God's servant, uh, was the one ordained to give the decree for the liberation of the Jews. But when he founded the uh, Archimedes uh, dynasty in 550, uh, nothing happened for 11 years because it was not time for him to be king. And finally, when he overthrew the Babylonian Empire in 539, uh, within, uh, in that year, that, that means in the first year of his reign, 538, he issued a decree for the Jews' liberation. The Jews took one year to make preparation. That was in 537. And in 536, the Jews started their return. So you see, what happened in the third year of King Cyrus? The Jews were making preparations and they were already on the way back. And this is a very, very crucial time in God's timetable. So what happens when something significant is about to happen? Opposition. War. And so he received a message in the third year. The message is that of conflict. And he went into intercession. Right, so that's, that was what happened. Now, uh, I, I want us to understand this, that uh, the history of the... the uh, the returnees going back to rebuild their homeland is, is, was not an easy one at all. We, we studied Ezra and Nehemiah. You, do you remember those lessons that we learned? What kind of troubles? It was endless troubles. These were the kings from King Cyrus until Artaxerxes. Under symbiosis, the temple construction was stopped. So even though Cyrus gave the decree for them to return, by the time it came to uh, symbiosis, it was, there was a change of attitude. The Persian kings turned against uh, the Persian, uh, to, to the, the Israelites. So the temple construction was stopped for 16 years. And after that, under Xerxes, there was a plot to exterminate the Jews. Remember, there was a, uh, Queen Esther's husband, which is inexplicable because he was controlled by a man called Haman. And after that, uh, at the end, under Arthur Xerxes, this is in the Nehemiah's time, uh, actually, Arthur Xerxes was the one who disrupted the building of the wall, but later on, of course, he allowed Nehemiah to go back. So, disruption, disruption, disruptions, and uh, just to... This is, this is the message of conflict that Daniel understood. Know and understand this, uh, God told Daniel, for the time the word goes out to restore, to rebuild Jerusalem, it will be rebuilt under Nehemiah and with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And true, it was throughout that period, endless troubles, interruptions, intimidation, distractions, opposition, accusation, deceptions, false rumours, malicious plots, threats against Nehemiah, trickery, endless trouble, fight, 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 war, war, war. And that was why in this very crucial time as the Jews were preparing to go back, Daniel was in intercession. Uh, and now this is, this is the significant part now. 
Why is chapter 10 so important? Because it's the first time that uh, God took away a veil and we pick into the cosmic realm. And for the first time, we understand that the struggle, look at the, uh, well, no, I, I read it just now, right? That there was the king of Persia fighting and there was a king of, uh, uh, in, in a cosmic realm. First John 3, 8, the first part of First John 3, 8, it says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, meaning that there is an evil spiritual power underlying human power. Well, which is why Paul told the Ephesians church, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against rulers and against authorities, against the power of this dark world, against the, the spiritual forces of this, this evil in the heavenly realm. So now we understand that behind underlying human power, evil human power, is an evil spiritual power. Satan works through people to war against God's people. And we have to understand this and be very aware and be very mindful of it all the time. I'll tell you why uh, in a short while. And just hold this slide. You know, I'll give you a few more examples in history where uh, every time there is a major move of God in history, uh, meaning that every time there's something significant is about to happen, the evil forces will come to bring disaster every time. And they are the work of high-level demons, I believe, because we get it, uh, we, we now understand from Daniel chapter 10, high-level demons, power principalities, directing world leaders for the destruction of God's people. I'll give one example. You know, when it was... Uh, when, when Jacob and his descendants came to settle down in Israel, he was warmly welcomed by Pharaoh, given the best land to settle in, honoured. 400 years later, when it was time for the Jews, the Hebrews, to be liberated and brought back to the promised land, what happened? Change of attitude. Egypt turned against the Jew, and Pharaoh... Pharaoh then enslaved the Jews and prevented them from leaving. Another example, when it was time for Moses to be born, and Moses is a very key figure, a God's servant to bring the deliverance of the Jews back to, to the homeland, when Moses was about to, to be born, Pharaoh conceived an idea that he would kill every Jewish boy to be born. Everyone. That was his plan. And another example, when it was time for the Messiah to be born, uh, there was another attempt by Satan to thwart God's redemption plan. King Herod killed every boy under the age of two. And the last example, when it was time for the rebirth of Israel, uh, you know, in the, in the 1940s, Adolf Hitler mesmerized the German nation to annihilate the Jews in the Holocaust. So I'm, I'm just giving you a few examples. If there is something significant happening in God's timetable, there will be conflict. And I tell you, we are now in the time where something significant is about to happen because we are living in the last days. What can you expect? Conflict, war. We can expect war. Now, what is the relevance to us? Have you ever always hear people say, oh, oh prayer changes things. We, we, don't, we don't really believe that. You know why I don't think we really believe it? Is it really possible for a few Christian people to just do prayer and then it would affect things in the natural, in the spiritual realm and it would affect national affairs? Is it really possible? You know, actually, I think it is possible. I think it's, because, it's possible because God says so. Next slide. This is called the law of prayer. And James tells us that you do not have because you do not ask. This is the law of prayer. How does it work? We've got to understand first the authority that we have. The authority, uh, 1 John 3, 8, uh, I think this is B, all right? not A, B. The second part, 
The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So he, he, that is his mission. He's passing the mission to us. John 20, 21, Jesus said that the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. My mission is to destroy the devil's work. And Luke 10, 19, then I am now giving you this mission and the authority. The authority is that you will overcome the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. So are you convinced from this verses that, that it is possible? by the law of prayer and delegated authority, by, the, by virtue of the fact that we are who we are, it is possible. All right, next slide. I want to give you uh, an example of... of uh, oh, let, 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 me, let me tell you this, uh, this story first. Don't, don't look at Second uh, Samuel first. Let me tell you this story by Bill uh, Harmon. Uh, he wrote a book called God's Weapon of War. He said that during the run-up to the Iraq war, you remember uh, uh, Saddam Hussein uh, uh, took over Kuwait, and so USA led a coalition force to liberate Kuwait. And so during the run-up to the Iraq war, which actually began in March, 20, uh, March 2003, uh, the U.S. military were prepared to lose a lot of soldiers in this invasion. Uh, so many, many body bags were actually sent to the theater of war. There was a Christian international conference in 2002, that means a year before, where 1,000 delegates were there, and the Lord revealed to the leaders in the delegate, these 1,000 people, that the devil plans to take 60,000 soldiers, and the Americans and the Allied soldiers, 60,000 lives, and the, the impression to the delegates was intercede for 50,000 of these soldiers. Well, so they, they went into intercession. This is, this is not just prayer. It was 1,000 people just interceding, shouting, uh, just travailing prayer, and they just went on and on until they felt that there was a breakthrough, and then they stopped. Now, Bill Hammond said that he was uh, very curious. Why, why did the Lord uh, tell us to intercede for 50,000, for God to, to spoil uh, the devil's plan and to spare this 50,000? What about the other 10,000? The devil's plan is to take 60,000. So anyway, three weeks later, Bill Hammond was in, a, was in Lu Louisiana, um, and, uh, sorry, uh, in uh, Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa, in a church to preach and he was sharing with the pastor that, oh, three weeks ago, we had this meeting, and then the Lord gave us. And the pastor got very excited. What, 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 what three weeks? When was it? What day was it? Wednesday? Was it a Wednesday? It, Wednesday, three weeks ago, my church was having a prayer meeting. The Lord gave us the same message. We were to intercede and pray for God to spare the lives of 10,000. And we interceded until there was a breakthrough. So, ah, so the 1,000 is to intercede for the 50,000 and this small church, the Lord gave them the task to intercede and to fight for the 10,000. He said that not long after, of course, there was the war in 203, there was an invasion, but uh, uh, the, the news was this, that just before the commencement of the, of, of the campaign, the top military commanders announced that they were going to, or they, they just decided that they were going to uh, change the plan, uh, uh, change the plan in the location of the invasion, and that resulted in minimal casualties. And the commanders announced later that on that the loss of life would have been much more if not if they had proceeded on with the original plan. So they, they understood. So can prayer by warring saints? affect the outcome at the national level? Uh, I, I say it can. Brothers and sisters, the armies of the angels in heaven work with the armies of the saints on earth and together we do accomplish God's purposes. The warring angels are commissioned to assist us in this conflict. So now I will give you uh, the story in 2 Samuel 
5. This is an interesting story which I didn't notice before. 2 Samuel 5. Once again, the Philistines went up to spread, uh, and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And then David inquired of the Lord. He said, You shall not go up, circle around them, and come against them from the opposite the trees. So they had to go to a particular place opposite the trees. And then when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the trees, pay attention because at that point, the Lord is going before you to defeat the army of the Philistines. And so he obeyed. Now, this is my take of it. I believe that David's army had to go to a particular place to wait and listen for the time when there will be sounds of marching on the top of the trees. It is like a signal that the warring angels are in action and when you know that, the warring saints can charge and then you work together, you will defeat. But you wait, you listen. Uh, so, next slide. So, Paul told the Ephesians, with all prayer and petition, you must pray at all times in the Spirit, all times. And you must be on the alert and with all perseverance, because prayer requires perseverance, and you must petition for all the saints, because this is a time of war. And there are principalities and and angels warring up there, you got to war here. You got to partner your warring angels there to accomplish God's purposes. You know, I read in the book, I, I couldn't believe it when I read this, that uh, uh, somebody who wrote this book on prayer said that the average Christian pray five minutes. I said, cannot be five minutes. You know, uh, not, not this like, uh, yeah, just hold on. Hold, hold on to this like Five minutes, well, five minutes is 300 seconds. Do I really pray five minutes or less? Well, maybe it's like that in a, in a typical day. Uh, breakfast time, the children gather together. Father, we just thank you for the food that you laid before us, and we just pray that you will bless it to our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. Five seconds. Five seconds, yeah. Then you, the children go off in a car. God bless our journey and help us to uh, uh, bring us safely to our workplace and school. Amen. Then when, this, when your son leaves the car, God, I pray for John that today will be a fruitful day. Give him the concentration he will learn and this will be a fruitful day. Okay, bye, John. Amen. Go. Then you, you know, come back and then we, uh, the family come together. Okay, how's everything? Okay, let's give thanks to God. Father, we just came for, the, for blessing us today. Today, I pray that the kids will rest well. Tomorrow, we'll be fresh. Thank God. Amen. You just add up. How many seconds will add up to 300 seconds? I thought, God is true. The average Christian pray less than five minutes. And uh, I and I was very troubled by that. Troubled because I'm an elder of the church and I wonder how many minutes I commit to pray for the church and to fast for the church. When Kevin Lim planned the leaders' retreat last Saturday and the plan was to have the Daniel fast, I oh no, Daniel fast, we're going to have a feast, we're going to work, you know, this is a leader's retreat, we're going to work, and we're going to have a Daniel fast, and when I reflected upon it, the Spirit spoke to me, that you, you don't fast, right? And Daniel fast is such a big deal, right? That's true. I confess to you, I do not fast for you. And it was a long time ago since I was desperate enough to be fasting, and so this book that I read by Hammond is about the weapons of war. And I feel very convicted. I told the, the leaders last Saturday, I felt very convicted that the weapon of fasting is in, in the, uh, the cupboard and I'm not praying enough for my church. Are you facing a problem? Uh, are you facing a problem at home now? Is your marriage in a crisis? Are your children in trouble are you, how are you handling this problem? Let me ask you, how are you handling it? Don't, don't just pray, don't just, 
just send a prayer chain. Oh, please pray for me. I just feel that, oh, it's just a tough week for me. Don't just do that. You know, I, I, want to, I want to suggest to you that we should go to war. And going to war means this. How about the CGL? Let me just suggest this to you, that when there is a serious problem in what, uh, that, that one of your members is encountering, you are going to send a WhatsApp message to all the CG members. This Sunday, we are going to one of these rooms on the fourth level. We are going to gather, and for 10 minutes, we are going to intercede for this brother. That's war. And if you have a family problem, you are going to call your siblings, not siblings, you're going to call your children together. You said that tomorrow at 8 after dinner, we are going to spend a time to pray for Papa, or we're going to spend a time to pray for so-and-so, and we are going to war. I, I'm suggesting this because we have, I practice it in my family, the family. Thank God we have a pastor. And so in, in some crisis, that when my, my sister had brain cancer, and um, we called for a family prayer meeting, and the siblings came together and we just interceded. And it was not a five-second prayer. We just went on and we pleaded. And, and then everybody just, just took their turns to war. And until we felt that, oh, there was a release and we commit uh, the, the member of family to God. That's war. And I suggest you do that. Family wartime, CG wartime, but we must come together for warring not just prayer time. Why? What do I say? Because the principalities and the, the, the dark clouds, they are doing their work up there, whether you, you care about them or not. It is happening. But Daniel cared about that war because it concerns the people of Israel. He cared so much that he travailed in prayer and it worked. It worked. There was a breakthrough. So this is the first part of my sermon, which is, I think, the burden I want to release to you, Daniel chapter 10. Chapter 11. Chapter 11 is horrendous. It's horrendous because if you look at this chapter, for years, I just didn't want to read this chapter. It has 45 verses and a large part of it is incomprehensible. It is about the, the king of the north and the king of the south and the king of the north and the south. What is he talking about? Until one day, I got hold of a book where the author devoted one whole chapter to explain the prophecy and how it is fulfilled. There are over 100 fulfilled prophecy in chapter 11. Over 100. So he has two columns. This is the verse, and this is the character. This is how it's worked out in, to fulfill this, this particular prophecy in this verse. And he just went on and on, pages and pages, one whole chapter, just devoted it. Well, let me just tell you, because we don't have time, it's not very important, it's past. Uh, the next, the next uh, slide, please. Now, this is uh, when King Alexander died, four generals uh, had a part shared this empire. So, uh, in, in Pygria, and then in Lydia, the, the, the arrows, in, uh, the yellow arrows. But chapter 11 concerns the Ptolemy of the south and the Seleucids in the north, the part in green and the part in yellow. This two empires, two generals were fighting. But of course, it's not just two characters, even though it's mentioned king of the south, king of the south and king of the north. It's actually many kings. Next slide. So there are many, the polemies first, second, third, and then the fourth and then the fifth. And on the other side, the Seleucus, one, two, three, four, five, and I think six. All right. The fourth, okay. Now, let me just... Um, tell you why, why it is so important that all these details get into chapter 11. Why bother to give us all these details, which Daniel didn't understand. <laughs> it takes us so long to understand it. It is because of this. In Daniel 11, verse 21 to 35, 
in the middle of the chapter, there is a little horn. And you, if you read the little horn, you'll be very confused. You think, well, well, why is this there? Does it refer to the little horn that will come in the tribulation days? So it's very confusing, but no. There was a little horn, and this little horn is Antiochus, the purple box, Antiochus Epipenis. Next slide. Now, so this, I, I'm, I'm putting this not, not to do impress you or to intimidate you. This is from Lo Chi Ming, okay? The reason why I'm putting this here is because, because some people may want to refer to this in their private study, and this, this chart would be helpful. This is the third empire, the, the Grecian empire, mentioned in Daniel 11, 3 to 35. There were wars between the northern kings, Seleucids, and the southern kings, the, the Polemis. And so uh, these are the Syrian wars. So you, in the yellow part, you can see all the names of the king. And in the, the bottom part, the Polemi kings are in the bottom part. And you can see the conflict. And what happened that is significant is when uh, Antiochus, uh, Antiochus uh, Epiphanes came into the picture. So let, let, let's look at the next slide. Okay. Oh, yeah, the picture is gone. Uh, prophecy is fulfilled. In the days of Antiochus Epiphanes, he actually was a, ma a man of intrigue. And he actually overran Jerusalem, desecrated the temple, offered a pick on the altar uh, of his gods, in the temple of God and desecrated it. And in fact, in every detail, it sounds so much like the Antichrist. So what Daniel was told is this, that this man in the Old Testament is a type of the Antichrist that will come in the end of this. He will come back. There is another. He's not the Antichrist. He is a type of the Antichrist, but there will be the Antichrist who will be just like this. And therefore, he has to give us the details in 11. He's coming back. And uh, then the time, Daniel 11, 35, uh, this is the end time application. All right? The first part is that yes, it's already been fulfilled, but in 11, 35, you must read Daniel 11.35, or let me just read it for you, 11.35. Some of the wise will fail so that they may be purged and purified and made white until the time of the end, for it is still for an appointed time. Is wait till the last week. This guy is coming back. Let's go on to chapter 12. Uh, now, uh, Kevin introduced us to uh, the Daniel 70 weeks, and he told us that 69 weeks, that 69 weeks period ended when the Messiah was cut off. So actually, this three portion is from, from one passage, okay? Verse 26 uh, to, to the end, all right? The verse 26 to the end. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the prince of peace, the, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Why, why is it mentioned that 62 when I when it's 69? Well, the, the, the seven had passed already. The seven is when uh, the in the period when the exiles returned to the land. In the seventh years, they had rebuilt Jerusalem. So seven plus 62. 69 weeks had passed. They will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And, and that's it. And its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be a war. Desolations are promised. And suddenly, it jumped thousands of, 2,000 years to the last week. Do you understand? 69 weeks happened when Christ was crucified. And then, in the purple part, in the three and a half years, three and a half years, we, we jump 2,000 years later to another time, the tribulation period, the 70th week, and its end will come with the flood. 
even to the end there will be war, desolation, desolations are determined, and he will make a firm covenant with many for a week, but the second part of the tribulation, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wings of abomination will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction that is decreed, and it is poured out on one who makes desolate. So you see, in, in just this one passage, we talk about three periods. After the Messiah is cut off, there is a pause. So let me just make it easier to show you where is the pause. Next slide. This is the pause. Week 1 to 39, 480 years, God's dealing with Israel and because they refuse to accept the Messiah, the Messiah was cut off, the time stops. And then, you know what? what I, I, I call this the time out. You know when it's time out, right? When you, when you play a game and you watch games on TV, every time uh, the coach calls for a time out, there is a pause, a time of waiting. Uh, the, 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 the game temporarily halts. The clock stops running under the, until the referee blows the whistle, calling the players back to their positions and the, play, the, the game can continue. Israel was dealt with by God for 69 weeks, 483 years, until the Messiah was cut off because they did not accept the Messiah. And God is not done with the Jews. God is coming back to finish the work that he has started. God's dealing with Israel will resume. When? In that last week, the tribulation period. In between, this, this is the in-between period. This is the time-out period. Over 2,000 years. In this period, the natural branch Israel is broken off and we, the wild olive, is, the branch is grafted to the olive tree. We are grafted. So we become the light the light, and we become the blessing to the, the world. Uh, God's dealing with the Jews is only temporarily paused. The next slide. I, I want to uh, yeah, just show you, uh, again, this is for the people who want to do personal study. It's not meant to intimidate you, but it may be helpful for some Bible students. Uh, so this is a 70 weeks. 69 weeks is divided into 47 and 62 uh, uh, this, this 42, which is 7 plus 62, concerns the decree to build Jerusalem, the wall, and the city, and the temple, and then the other 62 weeks leading up to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the church age, time out period, the church age. Then, then the 70th week. How, how do we know that the 70th week is going to commence? How do we know? We know when the Antichrist appears, uh, provided you, you can identify the Antichrist. When he appears, start of 70 weeks, and in the middle of the, 70th, uh, of, of the seven years, which means three and a half years later, the Antichrist will, will end the temple sacrifice. There will be the uh, abomination of the, of the desolation, uh, and, and then there will be the great battle, Armageddon. Next slide. I, I want to just share this very briefly about God's program. God has two programs for the church. One program for the saints, the other program for the elect. He will deal with the church differently from the way He will deal with Israel. For the church, He is now in the timeout period preparing us to be the bride of Christ. Because one day, according to Ephesians 5, uh, 27, that God loved the church and He gave us the word and that He might present to Himself a church in all its glory, no spot, no wrinkle, or any kind of such thing. It will be holy, it will be blameless, and then there will be a rapture and you'll be caught up and there will be that great supper of the Lamb. And that is a program for the church preparing us to be the bride of Christ. 
The program for Israel is different because they are still not acknowledging the Saviour. So, first of all, there has to be a regathering of the Jews from the nations. And this is a second regathering, this time from the nations. Over 100 uh, uh, Jews have returned to Israel from over 100 nations. Can you believe it? From from uh, Russia alone, one million Jews from Russia have returned. There will be the deliverance of the nation uh, at the end of the seven years, tribulation, and then because of the tribulation, there will be the salvation of the Jews. They will be greatly humbled. And so uh, uh, Paul had to explain this. Paul took three chapters in Romans to explain this that, you know, he was telling Romans, you don't be proud, okay? God is not done with the Jews. God is able to graft them back again to, to the tree, even though they were broken off. The gifts and the calling of God for the Jews are irrevocable. His covenantal promise will be fulfilled for, towards the Jews. These also have been disobedient, but they, that they also may receive mercy. They, the Jews, will be saved. That's the program for the nation of Israel. Next slide. So, now that we know that there's a plan for the church and there's a plan for the elect and the saints, what should we do? Well, just because we may not be going through the tribulation. By the way, when you look at the chart that Chiming gave me, you will know that Chiming is a pre tribulationists, right? Uh, Pastor Chimi believes that all of us will be caught up before the tribulation start. He may be right. I'm a mid-trip. And uh, this, this verses will tell us that we are not having an easy time. No way. Just because we may escape the tribulation, it doesn't mean that this is an easy time. It doesn't mean that Satan is just preparing for war, Right? Matthew eleven twelve, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching, when the Messiah comes to fulfill God's plan for salvation, from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. Until now, violent people. Uh, who is violent people? people under the control of, of a higher being. Of course, we, we know there are warring uh, satanic beings controlling human agents to war against the same. And uh, for Israel, for Israel, what, what is their fate? It's worse. It's worse. Daniel 12, 11 says, there will be a time of distress as never occurred since there was a nation. And uh, this is talking about the tribulation. If we are not in tribulation time, it must mean Israel. Distress never experienced by the nation, ever until now. Daniel 12, 11, and many, uh, Daniel 12, 10, and many will be purged and purified and refined. And of course, they will come back to God. Next slide. Uh, if you want just more evidence of the conflict that we are now in and that we will continue to face. Just, just a few verses. Second uh, uh, Thessalonians 2.7, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, Paul told the Thessalonians. Jesus said, everyone will hate you because of me. Paul said, told Timothy, mark this, Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. Matthew 24, Jesus said, many will turn away from their faith because uh, the, the love of many will just grow cold and they will turn away from the faith. Daniel 7.25, he will speak out against the Mosai, talking about the Antichrist, and he will wear down the saints of the, of the highest one. He will wear down the saints. Uh, the next slide. Uh, ch church, I, I want to tell you that this is the time for us to shine. Uh, preparing for heaven is to prepare for war because we are not going to 
we're not going to be worthy to be the bride of Christ until we persevere to the end and overcome. And then, as the bride of Christ, glorious, purified, spotless, clean, we'll be caught up to be the bride of Christ. Uh, this will take another sermon, uh, but let's leave it like that for now. Those who are wise, this is the time to shine. Those who are wise among the people will teach the masses. Mark this, teach the masses. However, however they, they will fail because it's a tough time. They will stumble and they will be granted some help. But many will unite with them deceitfully. You see how, how the devil works among us and infiltrate. Even some of the wise will stumble, resulting in refinement, purification, cleansing, until the time of the end, for it is time, for it is still for the appointed time. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's, it's not easy, which is why so many of us are failing and stumbling, which is why we must recognize that there's a war, which is why the warring states must come together to fight this together. Because we know there will be casualties and we're going to help one another and support each other and we're going to go marching on. Daniel 12 Verse 3 and verse 10. The wise will shine like the brightness of their heavenly expanse, and those, who, and those bringing many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever, and they shall be purified and made white and trite. Do you see the, 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 the common part in these two verses? The wise will teach the masses, the top verse, the wise will bring many to righteousness. There is a part. It is not just to preserve myself and I make sure that I get to heaven. It is we make it together and I'm going to instruct you and you are going to correct me and you're going to show me your insights and I'm going to show you what I've learned and we're going to instruct one another and we are going to be stronger as we prepare for the end. Let me just tell you uh, and how this is going to work on the next slide. I'm going to tell you uh, this story. This is a wonderful story. Um, I, I took this story from Epicenter by Joel Rosenberg. Uh, this is a story of George Sada. And you can uh, see that this General uh, uh, Sada, uh, he was a fighter pilot in Iraq. And he, he really was very, very uh, distinguished. And so uh, he rose to the ranks and he became a two-star general. Uh, he became the vice uh, air marshal. Um, and at the time of the war, actually, he was a military advisor to Saddam Hussein and the chief spokesman for the uh, prime minister. Let me just tell you this story. Right? In November 1990, two months before the U.S. coalition forces invaded Kuwait. Uh, sorry, I was just saying that. Two months before um, the invasion of Kuwait, <laughs> say that again, Kuwait was already uh, invaded, right? So the U.S. coalition forces were planning to uh, take Kuwait back. So he had, they, had to, uh, they had to take on Saddam Hussein, right? So two months before that, in November 1990, uh, uh, Saddam Hussein uh, ordered uh, Sadat, General Sadat and all his top generals, there were about 90 generals and top officials, to, to his office. And he told them that... Um, he wants to plan a massive attack on Israel using every plane that Iraq has in the Air Force. And if USA dared to invade us, I would order a retaliatory strike against Israel. I would drop my chemical weapons on Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, and every populated center, uh, uh, centers. Sarah, what do you think of my plan? Sarah was horrified because he was an evangelical Christian. You know? He was born in a Christian family, a devout Christian. He was ferociously uh, 
you know, so against this plan. How can this man think of such a thing? It pained him that Saddam conceived such a plan. And he, was, he said that he was faced with a very difficult decision, the most difficult decision of his life. If he expressed doubt or even opposition to Saddam's plan, he would be signing his own death warrant. He, he knows this man. But if he kept silent, how, how can? How can he answer to God? Not, and yet not many people have ever stood up to Saddam and lived to tell about it. So there was, it was dead silence in the room, he and the other 90 top uh, military advisors. So Saddam, he said his mind was thinking two ways. I am a Christian. And the other, the other voice said that you are a national officer of the Iraqi forces. And Saddam said that, Saddam said that he, he could not bear the thought of, of standing before Jesus Christ with the sin against his conscience, nor could he bear to see the destruction that will be unleashed against the Iraqi because, of course, Israel is going to fight back to retaliate. There will be loss of lives to his own people. He can't bear the thought. So when Saddam asked for his counsel, uh, General Saddam said a prayer and he asked God for mercy. And then he braced himself for the worst. He said, I do not support this plan. In front of the other military advisor, he spent one hour and 40 minutes to dissuade Saddam from attacking Israel from every angle. And he went into great details on the highly technical description of Israeli Air Force system and you must know the capabilities of the Air Force, and your, and your pilots will face enormous challenges, and they have to go fly by Jordan, and they'll fly by Lebanon, and before they could enter Israel, they will be shot down by the Israeli uh, superior aircraft, and then the chemical war will fall into our neighbours, and it's our neighbours who will be killed. He went on and on for one hour and 40 minutes, and then Saddam relented. Then the interviewer asked him, what gave you the courage? to dissuade Saddam like this. And then he said, believe me, believe me, only Jesus, only, I am not a coward, but to be brave, to put your life in front of Saddam, he could shoot you that very second, but you see, you see, Jesus gave me the courage so 12 years later, Saddam was finished, and Saddam lives. Uh, Iraq was set free. Saddam returned to the palace. Uh, he, he was in prison for a while. He, he went uh, to serve elsewhere. He came back. He went to the palace. He asked for permission for uh, Saddam Hussein's throne room. There, there is a throne room. And he asked for permission for church activities to be held in that very large throne room. And he said he, he did. He held weekly uh, church services, and the house of evil turned into the house of worship. Why did this man behave like this? He viewed events through the lens of scriptures, and he found courage because of prophecy. He knows how it will end, you see. And so it shaped him. I will not give you other stories, but I'll just jump to the end. I will tell this to the second service, and this will be for the second service. <laughs> how should we end? Okay, how should we end? Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, a prophetic truth should affect how we think, how we behave, how we live. Uh, prophetic truth will help us to ask the right questions. And the right question is not whether it feels right, whether it looks good. The right question is, is this God's way? God, what do you think? Does this matter in eternity, in the end? Does it matter? Is, is my thoughts biblical? Is this choice a right one? Does it really reflect on kingdom values and priorities? 
Is this keep in keeping with my convictions? In the light of eternity, is the use of this time or these resources or, or this opportunity, is it wise? No, I'll just give you two examples. Um, I, I, in giving this example, I'm in no way judging the people here, my brothers who travel a lot. I'm just giving an example because I've got clients who talk to me about uh, how travel has affected them and the family. You know, in business, business travel is very costly, and I'm not talking about dollars and cents. Uh, there is a high mental and emotional price tag that brings your family under attack when you travel often. It, it threatens to distance you more than mere miles. And you will need to have a roadmap to keep your family, to keep your job, and to keep your devotional life from drifting off course. So when you get a job, a job offer, or, or something like that, you've got to really get people to be praying with you and say, I don't want to be out of God's plan, and I'm not going to be derailed. I'm not going to fall in some kind of a trap from the evil. I'm going to take this very seriously. This is a major decision, and I'm going to pray until God leads me to the right decision. And this is what I mean by warring. Because we are in a time of war. The devil is not going to make things easy for you. You see, and many people will fall and, and the, the, the love of many will grow cold and they will drift precisely because there is a war and there's a strategy by the enemy. Pray about this. I'm going to give you another example of, on the parenting, right? Um, uh, again, because I talk to so many people, my relatives and, and, and clients and all about uh, how difficult it is to be raising kids these days. In raising kids... You fathers and mothers, how can you make good choices so that you teach, you instruct, you show, you remind your kids of the things that are of eternal value? They, they must get it all the time, not when they are 25 years old and finally they are mature enough to be mixing with friends and making their own decisions. But no, you, these things have to be put in really early and it's, it's just so much a part of it. It's swimming in their blood. And how about your spending habits? Because the children are going to watch how you spend and they're going to watch your, your lifestyle and do they bring clarity for your kids as to what is more important? Temporal, eternal, permanent, imperishable, it matters, it does not matter. Faith matters. Accomplishment, it cannot be more important than this. Give up this opportunity. It's not good for your faith. So you, because of the way you live and make decisions, the kids just pick it up. So you are wise. You are like the stars that shine in heaven because you instruct many into righteousness. This is your role. Uh, fathers and mothers, and uh, we are in a very difficult time now, but, but we have a mandate, and it is an authority and mandate from the Lord Jesus Christ himself who came down, and his purpose of coming down is to defeat the enemy. So we have this authority and with this mandate, we're going to be victorious. The Bible says we're going to be overcomers. We are going to overcome as warring saints in this time of great conflict. Chapter 10, 11, and 12. I made it. Let's give thanks to God and let's pray. Let's give God the glory and let's ask God for His grace and help. Oh, Father, we just want to thank you that, uh, you know, the God who makes history and the God of mysteries have revealed things to us and not just revealed things, but to give us insights and understanding. You are the God of heaven who reveal mysteries. You cause kingdoms to rise and empires to fall. You establish kings and you depose kings. Everything is firmly in your hands. All-seeing, all-powerful, all-knowing. And you have given us the keys to the kingdom. We are going to take seriously the mandate 
as the warring saints, advancing the kingdom of God, equip us to understand because we want to grow in understanding and this understanding will be translated into convictions, life choices, decisions, and everything that will bring glory to you. Oh God, I pray that you will purify this church. You will teach us to pray. No, you will teach us to pray together. We will war. Teach us to war. God, put your eyes upon us. Guard us. Send your warring angels to partner us and teach us to, to partner them. And I pray, Father, that we will have the joy of meeting you one day, not ashamed at all to meet you because we are part of the glorious bride of Christ. We are going to meet the God in heaven at rapture, the God invincible, the God unstoppable, the God unconquerable, the God overcoming, the God that is subduing, subduing everything under the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we belong to this generation and we are your people. We give you thanks. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.